Welcome back. Episode 13 of Cop and Daughter. I'm Cop. And I'm Daughter. So we are continuing our discussion of uh, the Clutter family. And I'm sure that most of our listeners, especially if you're true crime fans and if you're from Kansas, you know that we have been talking about um, a horrific uh, event that became kind of a worldwide phenomenon or became known around the world because of a book uh, by the author Truman Capote uh, called In Cold Blood. Mm -hmm. It was eventually made into uh, a movie. Um, But yeah, we were discussing the the homicide, the deaths of Mm -hmm. four family members, the Clutter family that happened in Holcomb, Kansas, and now we are going to kind of, you know, kind of branch out a little bit from um, the true crime discussion and then like kind of engage with how this has impacted um, our culture, how this has had an influence on, um, well, I don't know if there's, well, yeah, there's there's definitely an influence. Um, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper beyond the whole um the crime and what happened and mm-hmm. then how this is, has impacted um, popular culture. Uh, popular culture, pop culture is the word I'm looking for. Pop culture, popular culture. Um, so the book, uh, In Cold Blood, I don't, did you read this before? Are you like, did, is this I something you've not? I have not read not? it before we started talking about it. So I read it in high school. It was not required reading in high school, Mm -hmm. but I think it was my sophomore year was kind of a a, a American literature year Mm -hmm. and we had different books that we could choose from to read. And so one of the things I chose to read, uh, was in cold blood. Um, I, I, I remember reading the book, Mm -hmm. but I also know there's a good possibility. Well, well, I know for a fact that I watched the movie (laughs) (laughs) when I was in high school and there's a good possibility that I watched the movie in lieu of reading Reading the the whole book. Um, cause I also sort of have like this like recollection of like taking a test or doing something where like, I didn't know the answer because nope, I take it back. That was Grapes of Wrath. I watched oh. the movie Grapes of Wrath <laughs> instead of reading the movie Grapes of Wrath. So no, I did. I'm pretty sure I did read this book. So, um, so so like one of my first kind of like experiences with this in terms of just like um, being from Kansas and mm-hmm. and 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 in cold blood written by Truman Capote is I went to Kansas State University, mm-hmm. and so when I get to Kansas State University. I meet people that are from Holcomb, Kansas, mm-hmm. and are from Garden City, Kansas. Yeah. Um, in fact, I don't know if you ever remember your mom and I talking about driving back with Alex and Julie in the snowstorm after a wedding. Uh-uh. So we went to a wedding in Garden City. Uh-huh. Where like on the way home, I'm like white knuckling it the whole way back because it's just snowing. Mm -hmm. And it was like a deal where like we went to one person's wedding like one day, white knuckle it driving back all the way back and then had to go to somebody else's wedding the next day. And that was, and it was in Garden City. And so one of your mom's roommates, one of her good friends, somebody that we even still uh, keep in contact grew up in Garden City. Mm -hmm. And it was not 
So I was in college basically 30 years, almost exact. Well, it was exactly 30 years after this. Mm. Um, and so I'm experiencing people that like, I, I, I read this novel, I'd read this book and mm-hmm. there's people that are like from where this happened, happened yeah. and it wasn't real. Like, I don't remember any real in-depth discussions about it, mm-hmm. but I remember people being like, yeah, that's where I'm from. Like, yeah, that happened where I lived. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, my family knew the clutters, like, you know, those those kinds of, of connections with going to K-State. Um, Herb Clutter, went, the, the yes. dad that was killed in this, mm-hmm. he went to K-State. Right. Um, and Western Kansas, uh, so anything, you know, <laughs> the other side of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a large population of people that go to Kansas State who are farmers. Yeah, they they major in horticulture. They major mm-hmm. in and K State is phenomenal when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like it is, it is impressive what they do uh, there. So Kansas State uh, University is a horticultural college. There are lots of people that are from uh, this area um, that go there. So that was that was kind of like my connection was this sense of like. Um. Oh wow, I'm going to college with people that know firsthand uh, this situation, mm-hmm. and so I don't know about you. Is there anything that that that? And I, I think you alluded to this in our previous in episode mm-hmm. twelve mm-hmm. of maybe like what you kind of feel like was your connection to this. Yes. So one of the suspects, uh, Richard Hulk Hickok. Hickok. Yeah. Um. He was from Edgerton, Kansas, which is just outside of Gardner, Kansas, which is where I grew up. Yeah. In fact, you went to high school at... Gardner, Edgerton. Yeah. High school. So yeah. Gardner and Edgerton shared a high school. So mm-hmm. Gardner, Edgerton High School. Now, Hickok did not go... He went to a rural school right. that was like basically Edgerton High School. But yeah, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah. Where you grew up, mm-hmm. this guy was from, which... Again, as we started talking about this, we didn't need I don't think either one of us knew this. Right. And so so part of the reason why we're discussing the Clutter family is because somebody reached out to you via social media and said, mm-hmm. Hey, have you thought about discussing this? Yeah. And so twofold in that. Part of the reason why we're here is because you as a listener said this is something you'd be interested in. So mm-hmm. that's why we're doing it. So we encourage continue going forward that if this is something that you'd be interested in us talking about about a particular subject, uh, please reach out to us and let us know. And then the second, you know, kind of, I I said this in the previous episode of this really wasn't on my radar. Mm -hmm. And then the more we got into it, the more I was like, holy cow, why was this something that I didn't think uh, about um, talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, So... Any, any? Do you have any other thoughts? Anything else that you want to hit on in terms of the book or popular culture or anything like that? Not, no, not like right off the top of my head. Not off the top of your head. Okay, so this ends up being so. There's, there's kind of this piece for me of again. We talked about previously a family of four shot in their home in the middle of the night where they feel like they're safe. Mm-hmm. To the point that it impacts a guy who we've now acknowledged is Truman Capote, an mm-hmm. author. Uh, he wrote a short story, um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. 
that ends up being turned into a movie mm-hmm. in the early 60s. Um, you know, he's not worldwide famous, but he's known. He's a respected right. author mm-hmm. um, at this particular time. And do you, do you know how he came to hear about this and what sort of like spurred him and why he ended up writing the book in Cold Blood? Um, and, and this isn't real profound. I just don't know if you wanted yeah, to. It was in the, I mean, it was national news. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was, you said he lived in New York. Um, so he then took it upon himself to travel to Holcomb, Kansas and, uh, kind of befriended the investigate, the lead investigator on the case, Al Dewey. Yep. Um, and through his connections there, he was able to, um, just kind of get a feel of the investigation and what took place. And then he later went on to um, interact with Perry and Dick and he and Perry created a a pretty significant friendship Mm -hmm. through the process. Yeah. And so um, I, in essence, this was the first true crime novel. Right. Um, he claims it to be the first nonfiction novel, which maybe is true. Oh, I don't yeah. know, mm-hmm. but it is certainly kind of like this first true crime. Mm-hmm. And so you and I might not be sitting here doing this podcast. If he hadn't written that book. Yeah. If he hadn't written the, that book and true crime mm-hmm. hadn't become something that people are um, interested in and, and yeah. pursue and, and, and discuss. So, that was kind of the second piece as we, this, this topic came about and we researched it was I just had this like sort of revelation of like, wow. Um, but I suspect as a culture, we probably would have ended up anywhere, Yeah. but he's the guy that made it happen. He right. put this, this, this nonfiction novel together and, um, created sort of the genre of, um, true crime. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, it, it, um, it, it, for me, it's difficult to imagine this happening today. Yeah. So 1959, very different world. Um, in fact, I think the officers, the people who first responded to this crime scene, Mm -hmm. um, in dealing with this may, well, I mean, I worked 20 years in law enforcement. I never responded to a call where four family members Mm. were murdered in the night in their home. And on first inspection, we had no... Idea what had happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So kind of of on a uh, back to um, episode 12 and talking about all this, how did this affect... um, the community of Holcomb, Kansas, as they moved forward from learning that these four people had been murdered. Yeah. Uh, there's just kind of an, I, I don't know if edge is the right word, but you know, at the time no one locked their doors and now everyone was locking their doors. Um, and, yeah, what, and hardware stores are selling out of, Locks. Locks, yes, yeah. Yeah, so people go from not being able to, or not locking their doors to hardware stores can't keep locks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And then I think there was just, you know, 
there it was such a big event and no, it weighed heavy on everyone but no one wanted to talk about it so there was just this like weight to the town and to the people of the town that you know that in the we watched a documentary and there were several like um adults now but were kids then and they would talk about you know my parents never talked about it after it happened yeah um so i just i find that interesting too of it just kind of they moved on with their lives and yet it still like impacted them so much mm-hmm. so um the other thing that kind of like stands out to me or that they kind of put this in the like a, a place of like okay the reality of this is um Kenyon, who is the son, the youngest mm-hmm. son who gets, he was born in 1944. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same year that your grandpa was born. So he's basically the same age as oh, my wow. dad. Yeah. So that was the other thing that, that, that kind of put this into context. And uh, again, that stuff happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But again, I can imagine my dad, 1959 in Marseilles, Illinois, being a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. And they didn't lock their doors. They felt safe. Uh, you know, kind of a random fact, a random piece of information is the White Sox won the World or did not win the World Series. They <laughs> went to the World Series in 1959 mm-hmm. and lost to Los Angeles Dodgers. And, like, that's the year that your Grandpa Hogue became a uh, a White Sox fan. Mm-hmm. And so um, it just, it just kind of, like, like, that whole just kind of hit me of, like, this could have been anybody. Yeah. You know, and in particular, this kid fits sort of the uh, description of who my dad was Mm -hmm. in 1959, Mm -hmm. a kid that would have just been going to sleep feeling like he was safe. Mm -hmm. Um, During their uh, initial investigation, who became their prime suspect? Who was the last person to see the Clutter family alive? Bobby. Yes. I can't remember his last name, but he was Nancy Clutter's boyfriend. Yeah. So Nancy's boyfriend was the last one to see him alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, he, well, I, do, you, do you have much thought on what, about that at all or? Um, I just, I can't imagine having been in his situation of, my girlfriend and her family were just murdered. Yeah. And, I mean, she was 16. I think he was a senior, so 17 going on 18, if yeah. not 18 already, is being interviewed for, or, yeah, interviewed as the prime suspect of murdering four people. Yeah. And I think, it. I mean, pretty quickly, I think he was ruled out. Yep. But... That would just be so traumatizing to you're trying to grieve the death of your girlfriend and her family while also having to have you know support an alibi as to why you didn't do it yeah and and I think Al, I think it's Al Dewey. I think Al Dewey pretty quickly is like, yeah, I've yeah, talked to this kid like it is not him, mm-hmm. and you know um. I think law enforcement gets things wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. but this is probably one of those situations where you're like, I've done this job long enough. I've talked to enough criminals. I've talked to enough people who are guilty. 
And as I talked to this kid, like he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And on the docuseries that we watch, he, I don't know if he's still alive now, but at the time of the docuseries, he was still around, mm-hmm. uh, took care of a monument to the family that yeah. existed there uh, in Holcomb. And so, I mean, there was, you know, the Holcombs are obviously affected by this, but the entire community was affected by it. Um, one of the things that, so after they, they, they rule him out, there's another piece of evidence or information that comes available to law enforcement. And that is that, um, Mr. Clutter, Herb Clutter had taken out a life insurance policy. Yeah. So then they go down kind of that road and I don't know if you want to speak to that at all and who ultimately benefited from that, uh, because we haven't talked about them. Oh, so. yes. Yeah. So he had two older daughters, um, oh. Ivana and Beverly. Uh, one was engaged to be married and one was already married. Yeah. And so Herb Clutter had taken out this life insurance that was, I think, 40000 And then what was the term you used for... So it was double indemnity. So like if he's killed, mm-hmm. like if he, if there's an accident or he's killed, it pays twice as much. Yeah. So essentially these two oldest daughters end up with $80,000. Which today would be 10 times as much. Yeah. Um, so, and, and when you say he had just taken out this life insurance, it was like less than 24 hours Sent like the check hadn't even been cashed yet, or whatever form hadn't been. Yeah, so he writes this check and yeah. he gives it to the insurance sales guy, <laughs> insurance agent. And I mean, this guy still has the check in his possession; like it hasn't mm-hmm. gone through. So I don't think there was even a legal obligation for them right. to pay this out. Right. And they choose to do the honorable thing and they provide mm-hmm. the, 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 the payout to yeah. the two daughters. And in the daughter, so you say one daughter is married and one daughter is about to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say she's about to get married, when? Well, it was initially planned for Christmas time. Yeah. So the murders took place in November. So just before Thanksgiving. Yes. And then they were planned to be married in December. Um, and they decide to move the wedding up while the rest of the family is in town and she gets married. I think like that next weekend. Yeah. So how, again, just crazy is all of that, that you've Mm -hmm. lost a significant part of your nuclear family Mm -hmm. and now this. And the community really does a good job of sort of coming around her and providing for her. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it was still a somber occasion, but they really do the best that they can. Mm -hmm. Um with all of this and that kind of leads me into this, this next piece of, so um, they go on with the wedding. They make the best of a situation. Um, Family of four is killed in this house. And what happens to the house after the four of them are murdered inside of it? It's still there. Yeah. It's still there and there's people still living in it. So there's, uh, Western Kansas kind of like almost like this pragmatic sort of like you don't throw away a perfectly good house. Mm-hmm. So the house is still there. There's people living in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they w- they go on with the wedding mm-hmm. within days of this happening. Again, this sense of like 
um, life goes on. You can't just throw yeah. everything away because it happens, which in this day and age, we are so, I don't know, triggered. We are mm-hmm. so thrown off. Like yeah. anything like this, like in this day and age, it'd be like the world was ending mm-hmm. and Western Kansas, 1959, um, just a very, very um, different perspective on on how to handle um, on how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So, um, going to steer us back, kind of back to the whole um, some of the connections that that we saw in this, and maybe even not connections, but maybe just observations and like, oh, I didn't know that this happened. So. Uh, we're talking about Holcomb, Kansas, 1959. Um, I go to college with people that know these folks. Um, you grew up in a town that was one over from one of the mm-hmm. deals. Uh, but we both currently live in Olathe, Kansas, mm-hmm. which I don't know if we've shared that on this podcast or not. But much of the story... Takes place in Olathe. Takes place in Olathe, Kansas, mm-hmm. and... Uh, with the assistance of the Johnson County um, Sheriff's Department. So I don't know if you have anything that you want to talk to or or, or speak to uh, on that. Um, and maybe just even like you guys watched the movie last night in Cold Blood. Yeah. And what was kind of some of the things that maybe stood out to you and all of that? Um, one of the big ones was that there was a hotel, mm-hmm. Hotel Olathe, um, and when you saw that kind of come up on the screen, it was like, oh, that's weird. The one for me that was crazy was like within the first like 30 seconds of the opening scenes, there's a, like a street sign, you know, where it's like this town is this many there's miles. There's a mile marker, yeah. The mile marker, yeah. yeah. And it's literally like Gardner, Edgerton. Olathe. I think it's Olathe. like, Olathe. well, I don't know, I don't, maybe not. I can't remember what the third one, but it was like two of the towns that we knew. And that for me was like, whoa, that's crazy that. It's take you know, um, and so and also too is kind of we were trying to figure out while we were watching it what was actually like filmed at those places and what was like a set, um, and so we were talking before the podcast before we started recording, but Hotel Olathe was a real hotel. Um, and at this time, in 1959, it was, I think you said, 50 yeah. years old. Yeah, it had so, been around since the early 1900s. And it yeah. may go back to the 1800s. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so that was just an, in, you know, kind of a captivating piece of the story of like, we're here and Perry and Dick were sitting at diners mm-hmm. talking about their plan to go to this house and commit that burglary yeah so it yeah it uh they they originated um like we said hickok dick hickok was from edgerton uh i actually think he graduated from olathe high school oh which um in uh, shortly so so the the olathe so what is now currently olathe north high school mm-hmm. Once upon a time, would have been Olathe High School, mm-hmm. but when they tore down the old high school and they moved to the new one at its current location, mm-hmm. they changed it from Olathe High School to Olathe North High School, and it would have been 
like late fifties, early sixties that 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 happened. For some reason, nineteen fifty eight stands in my mind. Interesting. Um, but I don't know that uh, yeah. for a fact. So yeah, so um, you know, even with him r- growing up in rural Edgerton, Johnson County, uh, there's very you know he went to high school here, mm-hmm. uh, w- where we live. Uh, as you like you said, as you watch the movie uh, in Cold Blood, it's it's kind of crazy that um, they made um, well they made the effort to actually film in the mm-hmm. actual locations as much as I could. And so uh, the Clutter Home, which is still there to this day, uh, they filmed the movie on location. They filmed the movie inside mm-hmm. that home. And, um, I, I, you know, this is these are not my words. I can't remember where exactly, but there's kind of this love-hate with Holcomb yeah, and the whole Holcomb, Kansas and this whole concept of in cold blood in this mm-hmm. book and this movie, because, uh, on one hand it has brought some notoriety mm-hmm. to that part of the world and people travel there to see the house, yeah. to see the gravesite for the clutter family, to see the memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, it's, it's Finney County, Kansas, and they even have a historical society that has the museum, mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned in the the previous podcast that a boot print mm-hmm. was one of the things that got well. That boot is in the Finney County Museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the, uh, and they have it like side by side with the picture with the picture of the boot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it it is. It, it's just this. Odd, and I think it even just sort of like parallels that kind of like as we've talked about. Um, true crime is interesting, it's history, mm-hmm. it's something that did happen. Uh, we want to learn about it, we want to learn from about learn from it, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, it really kind of has this sort of like more like it's just morbid, like yeah. that this is this is a reality. Uh, because the other piece is, is that, um, Dick Holcomb and Perry Smith, they were hanged in Lansing, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Or Lansing or Leavenworth. I think it's Leavenworth. The state penitentiary is in Leavenworth, sorry. And yeah. so so you can go to Leavenworth, Kansas right now. Mm-hmm. You can go to a cemetery. And find their tombstones. Yeah. yeah. There's tombstones for those two, those two people um, in Leavenworth, Kansas, which is like literally minutes from here. Like it is, mm-hmm. it would, it, it would not take us that long for us to drive up there. Yeah. Um, and see that. And, and, and even, even in that, like Lansing print or, or Lansing, why do I keep saying? I think Lansing? it might be Lansing. Is it Lansing? I think so. Let me- <laughs> so, so I know Leavenworth, uh, Leavenworth has the military base and maybe Leavenworth has that. But, but anyway, uh, so Caroline's going to find this out or try to make a, a yeah, and if, Lansing, Kansas is okay. where they're buried. And, and is the state penitentiary in Lansing? Um, that I do think is, is, is Leavenworth. So Lansing, I do know that Lansing and Leavenworth are very close to each other, but you know, it's, it's one of those deals uh, where, uh, I think that's now the Lansing correctional facility. So there's, so there, yeah. And that may be the other case. So there may be the, 
the state penitentiary, and then there's like the federal deal, and they may have been. Yeah, it looks like it's now. It's now not. It's like called the Lansing Correctional Facility. Uh, yeah. Um. So. Just kind of crazy. This kind of this whole thing happened um, sixty some years ago in Sleepy Town, Kansas. Brought the national spotlight um, with a book that was written by a guy from New York. Uh, in Cold Blood. It was turned into a movie in the late 60s. Um, and then even in in um, the 2000s, there was a movie called Capote mm-hmm. that was about uh, Truman Capote and all this. And, um, oh, that was another thing that, that I thought was very, very interesting if, if people don't know this. So um, Truman Capote went to Holcomb, Kansas, but he did not go alone. Oh, yes. I thought this was interesting, too. Yeah. So he goes with a childhood friend. Yeah. Which I had no idea. So who's a childhood friend? Harper Harper, Harper Lee. Lee. Yeah. Is that it? Harper yep. Lee? And she wrote the book. To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. So while all of this is going on, she has written To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. but it, but it's not published and it's not out there. Right. And uh, Capote is kind of... Uh, uh, so... You get on YouTube, you can find all kinds of videos of, uh-huh. of Truman Capote and him being on, well, he's on like the Johnny Carson uh, Tonight Show, which back in the day, that was the late night show. Everybody watched Johnny Carson, but mm-hmm. he's also on like David Letterman. And so mm-hmm. uh, Dick Cavett was another show from my era of, you know, he's on these shows and he's ta- talking and he's clearly this like kind of like quirky little guy yeah. mm-hmm. that... um at the same time, as quirky as he is, he's very endearing. Like yeah. I can see it being easy to be his friend right. and wanting and being drawn um, to him. And I've totally lost my train of thought <laughs> where I'm going with all of this. Um, oh, so he goes with uh, Harper Lee. Harper Lee. So she is kind of the she kind of is the person that that um, instigated him. Going, right? Yeah, but she also is the one that, like, she opens the doors for him. Yeah. So he's this quirky little guy going to western Kansas that, like, a lot of people would be like, who are you? Get out of yeah. here. Uh, 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 Dewey, who is the prime investigator, is actually uh-huh. sort of kind of him and his wife are actually sort of intrigued by him, invite him into their home, have yeah. dinner with him, and engage with him. But from place to place, as he's putting the story together to create the book in Cold Blood— Harper Lee plays like this big role of sort of being the the charmer, the person mm-hmm. that understands. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, again, they both came from a small town in the South, so it's not completely foreign to Truman Capote to be these things. But Harper Lee is really the one that that helps him sort of navigate that, mm-hmm. and um, that just blew me away. The fact that here's this person yeah. that wrote this other great novel, which it's. Um, not necessarily a true crime novel, but I do believe it's based on her experiences mm-hmm. and where she grew up and what she saw happening. That yeah. uh, they were friends. They both write great novels. Yeah, uh, novels that are, are pertain to crime and justice and that sort of a thing. Um. So yeah, that uh, that just absolutely um, 
fascinated me. Um, is there anything else that you have? We had kind of touched on like, because um, his book is nonfiction. Nonfiction. So a true story. But there were some things in the story that were appear to be like more fabricated. Um, and so like in the documentary we had watched, there were, I think that was kind of one of the things about him coming to Holcomb that people, you know, you either had people who were glad that he was there or you had people that were like, he shouldn't be here. This isn't his place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was an interesting piece for me of like, I, I think if you watch, well, they don't really, if you read the book and then you research the case or watch a documentary or whatever, you can kind of find the pieces of the book that were maybe uh, embellished for the yeah. sake of art, but. No, yeah, so, so so we don't know what the dialogue was between right. Nancy and her dad or Nancy and her mom. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way to know what happened in the clutter home the day of their murders. Mm-hmm. Nobody was there. There was no recording. There's no nothing. So that would have to be, um, I'm going to use the word created, mm-hmm. not embellished, but created. Yeah. And and I think uh, whether you're talking about the book or even you're watching the movie, there's nothing that, to, in in my opinion, that seems outrageous. Right. Yeah. Um, certainly the family is going to have, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talk about, talk about two daughters that survived. They have, they have daughters and they have, or they have uh, children and they have grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be this element of, we don't agree with that. Even yeah. for people that live in Holcomb, there's going to be an element of like, no, I, I think one of the things that stands out to me uh, in all of this is there's an airplane that crashes on his property. Yeah. And he sues them. Mm-hmm. And there's two very different perspectives as to why he has that, you know, why he sues the family. Mm-hmm. Um, Bonnie does, at the night of the murder, is sleeping in a different room mm-hmm. than the, than Herb. And is mm-hmm. that right, Herb? Yeah. Herb? I don't know. It's yes. a weird one I said. Yeah. So she's in a different room. You know, there's debate as to whether that was a unique situation on that mm-hmm. particular night or whether it was something that occurred on a regular basis. Yeah. We just don't know. I, I personally don't think that Truman Capote as the author of this did any real harm Yeah, in that. And that was kind of what I felt. And so like in the documentary that we watched, um, when the family was talking about that, I was a little bit surprised mm-hmm. that, yep. you know, I could get being upset that sure, absolutely. your family's hurt is being, someone else is, is, is benefiting off of it. Yep. But, and again, I have not been in this situation, so maybe I shouldn't speak to it. But sure. I was, yeah, I was just a little bit surprised that they were as like, I guess, upset or... Um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but that they felt like it was fabricated yeah. as much as it was when it really seems to be a pretty accurate portrayal of Yeah, when you, the when you think about the number of people that they had conversations with, mm-hmm. 
They probably, and, and this is even the other thing. I think, you know, if I took my own life and the perspective of how I think people view me and how I think people view my family and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and then I heard, oh, somebody came in and interviewed the 50 people that I interact with on, on the most, you know, closest intimate basis, and this is how they perceive me, I'm sure there's going to be mm-hmm. a disconnect. There's going to be like, oh, I didn't realize that people. Yeah. Um saw me that way. And, and you know, I, I, I will just throw this out there. One of the things that I hear from you and your sister um, is how, quote, unquote, scary I am mm-hmm. and how scary I am <laughs> to uh, your friends. Intimidating, Intimidating, okay. So intimidating. And, like, I just think of myself as this, like, like one of the least intimidating people in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's my perception is, is like, oh, I'm this nice guy. I'm easy going. But then you and your sister and your friends are like, no, you're, that's not true. Like you have this kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, I guess <laughs> that's, that's the reality. I think mm-hmm. one thing and somebody else thinks the other. So that, uh, that, uh, that, that clearly applies to uh, this novel in the movie and all that. Um. So don't certainly do not want to um glorify right what this story is all about. It is truly tragic, it is truly sad. Uh, a family was impacted by this. Well, multiple families were impacted by this. The Clutter family was impacted by this. Uh Perry Smith's family was impacted by this. Mm-hmm. Uh Dick Hickok's family was impacted by this. A community was impacted by this. The country was impacted by this. The people that had to investigate it were impacted by it. Mm-hmm. The the officers that walked into that room and saw the dead bodies, the family friends that walked yeah. into that house on the morning of all that were impacted by that. And uh when I say the word impacted. It's trauma, mm-hmm. and do not mean to make light of trauma, uh, but um, this is a very, very, very um, interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of as we're wrapping up and I'm thinking about this, I think one of the things that the book does well and even the movie does well is kind of demonstrate the fact that while there is a heinous crime that is committed, an egregious crime that is committed, we are still talking about human beings. Mm-hmm. And um, we've talked previously about evil and non-evil. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is one of those situations, and I, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, I don't see the evil side in this. Mm-hmm. This is this is a story. This is one of those things that, for me, equates sort of a bad decision. Yeah. Versus two guys really being evil. I, I'm not negating what they did or saying that it wasn't right. an evil act, but I don't believe that either one of these guys were inherently evil person. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah. Convince me. Right. <laughs> Let us know if you think otherwise. Um. But yeah, so that's that's kind of where my last thoughts are. Do you have yeah. anything else that you wanted to talk about or address at this point? I think we touched on it all. Touched on it all. So uh, we appreciate you listening to episode 13 of Cop and Daughter, our first 
uh, two-part yes. uh, <laughs> podcast, which I, I don't think either one of us saw coming. No. So uh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you listening. Um, this is the end of episode 13. I am Cop. And I'm Daughter. Stay safe. Thank you.